gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. We are here in southern Wisconsin. It is the middle of hunting season, and our hunting season has gone pretty darn well so far. Now, we recently got a curveball thrown to us when we got a lot of high water. So we're probably going to wait a little bit, let the water come down because all the hunting that we do is in marsh. And once the water's high, it really, it makes the food inaccessible for the birds, but it also gives the birds lots of options in the area. So we'll let it dry out a little bit and we're going to focus on deer for the next few weeks. But that doesn't stop me from going on social media, looking around and coming up with ideas that we can talk about. Today, I want to talk about someone's dog being gun shy. This is a common issue that people have is gun shy dogs, and it is one of the hardest things to fix. Gun shy dogs are made by the trainer or the owner by not properly introducing a dog uh, to loud noises. Now, I will fully admit, my first dog, I was so excited to get her out. I don't even remember how old she was. Her name was Lily. And I just wanted a dog that would fetch a ball and I could take grouse hunting. I decided that we'd go on a grouse hunt. We were in northern Wisconsin, big woods. And it came to me, I'd never shot around my dog. So I thought, well, this is easy. I'll just shoot around her and act excited and it'll be okay. It did work out. She was excited she did not have any issues with the noise and went on to retrieve and be hunted over for a good 11 years. That was absolutely the wrong way for me to introduce my dog. And I was setting myself up for failure potentially with my dog by not properly introducing her. But I didn't know any better. But hey, that's why now, after all of my years in the field and training, I can make it easy for you. You have to take the time to train your dog. Too many people are in a rush to post a picture on social media saying my five and a half month old dog or my six month old dog retrieved this duck and they're not doing the training first. We have to do our training first and introduction to gunfire is one of the issues that we have to cover in our training because if we don't, it is honestly very hard to recover a dog from. Every season, I get contacts from people for training, and it's the same question. My dog is gun-shy. I need to put her with you. We need to work on some training and get her ready for the season. And I'm completely honest with people. When you have a dog that is gun-shy, you're probably looking at a 10 10 to 20% chance that you can recover that dog and get them to hunt. Once they are scared of something... It is very, very difficult to get them so that you can shoot around them. I've seen dogs that are just petrified when they even see a gun. So it is such that 
you have to start them out slowly. And I don't even shoot around a dog until they're six months old. So again, when you think about, I want to get my dog out and I want to get them experience hunting so that they learn how to hunt, you've got everything backwards. Dogs don't learn how to hunt. They're bred and they have drive and that's why they want to hunt. They have a desire to hunt. And what we do is we introduce them to everything hunting wise and we also work on their obedience and, and, and control and we teach them that they hunt for us. When you are too worried about getting your dog out in the field, that is when your dog is going to pick up bad habits. It's going to become gun shy and you're going to have a lot of issues you have to fix. Some of which like gun shyness that you cannot fix. So if you have a dog that is noise sensitive or known as gun shy, you're going to do this step by step in a very, very slow process. You are going to work with the dog at a point where you are going to take baby steps. With a normal dog, what I do is I will take dogs out for training and I'll have multiple dogs and I will throw bumpers for the dogs in our dog yard. The dog yard's 90 feet by 90 feet. The dogs are running around. They're all playing who can get to the bumper first. It's a good attitude thing to teach them that training is fun. And then after about a week of this, I do this a couple of, uh, a couple of times a week. After about a week of this, I will then have one of my kids shoot off a 209 primer pistol at about 50 yards away while I'm playing fetch with the dogs. Again, they never hear it go off because they're so enamored with getting that bumper and the competition from the other dogs that they never hear it go off. Move up to where we're 25 yards, and then next time I'll have the primer pistol in my hand. I don't shoot it off every time I throw something. I do it like every fifth or sixth time, especially once I've got it where it's right by the dogs. And then I watch them and I make sure that none of them are looking concerned. I act excited. If one of them looks a little concerned, I love on them, tell them they're great, good dog, encourage them to retrieve. I'll throw the bumper three or four more times and then I'll shoot it again. Again, you're moving into it slowly. This is why you can have dogs that when you just shoot over them, it has an adverse reaction because it is incredibly loud and you're doing it multiple times. As we get to the point where we're now throwing a bumper with multiple dogs and we are shooting the primer pistol off every time. And again, a primer pistol is like a starter's pistol for uh, track competition. So it's very loud. I then will move to a 20 gauge shotgun and eventually I'll move to a 12 gauge shotgun. <clears throat> then I will start working the dog separately so that they are worked with one-on-one -on -one and they're hearing the sound go off. But by the time you're working with them separately, if you've had no issues with the dog, they now look at it as, wow, when that sound goes off, I get to retrieve something. It's enjoyable. It's something they want to do. So again, if you have a gun-shy dog, you're going to go even slower. You do want to make sure that you have a distraction, whether it is throwing a bumper and you have one dog, or if you can get a buddy's dog or have two dogs and throw bumpers for them and get them to play, start at 100 yards and then move closer as the dog shows zero concern. This is how you're going to build them back. And again, it might be the point where this dog isn't recoverable because of the fact that they're so petrified uh, of the noise. But you're going to take things slow. This isn't where you shoot a primer pistol around a dog a couple of days and then take them back out hunting. It doesn't work that way. You have a dog that is concerned. 
So you are then going to take them out and, and go very slow with them. This could take you three months to get them to the point where you can shoot around them. So for a dog that is suffering from uh, an adverse reaction to noise, gun shyness, or a dog that you're training, the other thing I tell people is when you take that dog out hunting, regardless if it's gun shy or a young dog, young dog meaning in training, I tell people only have one person shoot. Go along, have someone else that is shooting birds for you, and be a handler. Don't worry about shooting birds. You have to worry about being a handler, monitoring your dog, and making sure your dog understands what the expectations are so that they can be successful in the field. Eventually, move to where you have two shooters, and if you get through a good part of the season and the dog's doing great, you can move to where you have a bunch of your buddies along. I can give you... An example of what happened to me with one of my own personal dogs, I had a dog, her name was Sadie, and I had trained her. She had done great. I'd shot birds over her. And at the time, I was guiding at a hunt club. So I had clients out. There's four of them. We were in a pheasant field, and I had her out with one of my other dogs. Again, she had one pheasant hunting before. She had done great. First bird goes up. The four gentlemen all unload their gun. And they missed the bird. But they unloaded their gun, so it's 12 shots. All of a sudden I looked, and I could not find the dog. Being panicked, when we came back through the field, I stopped in the truck, and the dog was laying under the dog trailer, shaking. She had an adverse reaction to noise. She was somewhat gun-shy with that many guns. So I actually put her away, and then I took her out in training, and I did exactly what we're talking about. One gun shooting, then two guns shooting, then multiple guns shooting. Eventually, within six months, she was fine. I could guide with her. But you can't create the chaos of a hunt in your training, so that's why we need to take things slow. If you do have a gun-shy dog, be very patient with them. Realize they're scared. Don't be angry at the dog because ultimately, who you should be angry at is looking back at you in the mirror. You have to give the dog the respect and time to recover them, and you have to make things fun. You might have to somewhat curb your obedience with the dog so that you're not so worried about putting the dog in line and making sure they're listening, and just make sure that they are having fun. If you do recover the dog, again, work with them slowly as you get them into the field, and hopefully... What I am giving you here, the knowledge I'm giving you, will help you have a successful relationship with your dog in the field, help recover them from this problem, and you'll have a lot of fun with them throughout their life. That's it for this section of Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Next, we're going to talk about training being the end-all be-all for a good dog, which I've also seen on social media where people will put on it's not about the, the dog's pedigree. It's not about the dog's breeding. It's about the training that makes the dog. So we're going to talk about that next after this. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. So on our training tip today, I wanted to talk about training, but training in the concept what I've seen mentioned by so many people on a Facebook chat room, and that is that training is the end-all be-all. It doesn't matter what you pay for a dog. It doesn't matter what pedigree the dog has or how the dog's bred, but it all comes down 
to the time that you put in for a dog. This is a beyond wrong statement. I could use a stronger word here, but I'm not going to be mean. But again, your training has little to do with a dog's desire. Your dog's desire comes from its breeding. And you are not training a dog to hunt. That's a misnomer. A dog is being trained to hunt for you. People that are saying that the fifty pound or the fifty dollar dog that has zero pedigree and you know zero knowledge of, but is a hunting breed, is just as good a hunting dog as the dog with the phenomenal pedigree, honestly have never hunted over one of those dogs. Does it mean that you can't get a great hunting dog from two farm dogs? No, it doesn't. But if you worked with and hunted with a dog that had one of these phenomenal pedigrees, then you would understand what they look like in the field and just how different they are from their ability to mark to their trainability to their drive to their composure. These dogs are basically built by their backgrounds and by their ancestors into being what is a great dog if you have a breeder that knows what they're doing. Easiest way to explain it would be if you were looking at two common adults, like my wife and myself, wanting to have a kid that would play in the NFL. No matter how many kids we had, they would never play in the NFL because, I hate to say it, but I just don't have the athletic ability or the size. When you look at a dog and their pedigree and you see the master hunt titles, you see the field champion titles, qualified all age, hunter retriever champion. When you see these titles, that's showing you the ability, the genetic ability of these dogs. Breeding an Olympic athlete to an Olympic athlete will likely produce a child that is highly athletic that could potentially compete in, in the Olympics. It would be the same as having two dogs that are field champions being bred together. You're going to have a dog that is going to be super talented. Now that doesn't mean that it's going to be a dog that's enjoyable for someone to run because it could be a dog that is super driven that's hard to control but you are again taking and harnessing the dog's ability and then pulling back on the reins to let them know you retrieve to me you retrieve to hand you are going to listen to me and you're going to say stay still until i release you that is the difference training is incredibly important but training does not make the dog training makes the dog hunt for you. So I hope that explains it and I hope that helps you as you are looking for a puppy and you are looking at the training. There are two components to a great dog and that is a well-bred dog and that is putting the time and resources into them to train them so that they know they have to hunt for you. Hope that helps you. I hope that helps you get involved in the field and get involved in the sport I love. That's it for this part of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Next, we're going to talk about an upland tip for when you're hunting in the field. Stay tuned after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. On this week's hunting tip, we're going to talk about handling your upland dog when you're out in the field. Now, this would be for flushers. I do not train pointers. So this would be talking about when you're taking your flushing dog out and you're handling him in the field. And I specifically wanted to talk about the distance you let the dog get out in front of you when you are hunting. So 
dogs, when they're hunting, doing upland hunting, they do something called quartering, which is they run back and forth in front of you. If you have a dog that's not doing great at quartering, have two people, call the dog back and forth. Again, don't call them all the way to you. You can release them, tell them hunt it up, but get the dogs so they're running back and forth. And if you have a very young dog training-wise, not years, but training-wise that has seen a few birds, get birds, put birds out, whether they're frozen birds or live birds, put them out. Don't just put them between you, but put them on the outsides of, uh, of the uh, direction you're walking so that the dog is going past you and then quartering back all the way across yourself and the other person you're with. I tell my clients that the farthest you want the dogs to be out in front of you is 10 to 15 yards. I see people <laughs> let their dogs range so much farther. And it is something that to have a dog out past 10 or 15 yards, you have to realize if the dog gets on scent and the dog breaks and hauls butt after a bird, by the time the bird gets up, the bird might fly at 30 to 35 yards. By the time you pull up your gun and you pull, you pull the trigger, there's a reaction. It's called the reactionary gap. Basically, your brain telling your hand what to do. The bird at that point is probably at 50 to 60 yards. You probably shouldn't even take that shot because you're only going to wound the bird and not recover them. So you want to keep them so they're at that 10 to 15 yard range so that when that bird does get up there in that 25 to 30 yard range, they're well within your range of your shotgun and you, you can make a good ethical shot and give your dog a retrieve. Again, it is just keeping them tight and that would just be calling them back and then when the dog gets back toward you, releasing them and telling them to hunt it up. At a point, your dog's going to realize where that range is because you are pulling them back in when they get out too far and they will start to quarter tight right in front of you and sometimes even right along through the lines where they're basically running through right in front of the people through the whole entire group. A good dog will have the ability to quarter with four hunters in the field and to run all the way across the entire group of hunters. That is what you strive for when you're working with your dogs. And again, it all starts with range. And then it starts with making sure the dog understands that there is going to be reward on the outsides of the hunters so that they're not just running on the insides between the hunters. Make sure you have a lot of birds for the dogs. Make sure you're setting up your field with training in mind and make sure you're keeping them in range. You will have a phenomenal season. You're going to have a lot of fun. And please, we love to see pictures, so if you get pictures, send them to our Facebook page, Sporting Dog Adventures, and we actually post our pictures of our fans on our page as part of our content. So I hope that helps you with this week for our hunting tip. That is the end of today's, uh, today's podcast. Thank you so much for stopping in, and God bless. Sporting Dog Adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun Everything you need is here